0: and good day everyone
1: welcome to voices of experience with paul casey i am the producer benny mathers for the
2: show and uh we are still continuing to bring you parts of the show uh via palm springs california where paul is still residing and and staying safe out there and uh, so paul uh what's the latest from palm springs and i hope you had a great weekend and also uh easter we just came across that
0: yeah all the above was good i mean it's a surreal world Mm -hmm. as we all know and uh I actually went for a bike ride yesterday around the immediate area if you've been to palm springs we're close down to downtown and um we're just off 111 mm-hmm. and i rode into this area called twin palms all i'm saying is extremely eerie because no one was out and i saw some easter decorations on front lawns but it wasn't very extensive so right. lockdown continues here as it does in seattle i'm keeping Close tabs there. Uh, Right now, we are planning on coming back in late April or early May, but we both have said that this is a very fluid situation, so we will remain flexible. Good. Looks like there's some good news coming, and I hope it continues. All right.
1: Keep our spirits high.
0: Yes. So um, what I wanted to just talk about today, there are a couple of things. One, I just want to talk baseball, keep this very light as we possibly can, because uh, there's enough discussion on the virus outside of this realm so and that's what my direction would be today and there are three interviews that I've had two were from the late 1990s and one was Rick Kaminsky better known as the peanut man and he uh, never threw a baseball but he threw peanuts in the kingdom and in Safeco Field and he was pretty much world renowned for doing this and a very Special character. I actually knew Rick, uh, met him in college, actually, and uh, quite a character, as I said. And uh, I had an interview with him again in the late 90s. And um, unfortunately, he passed away very early uh, age at uh, 2011. So uh, my next guest was in the late 90s as well. And his name was Ito Vanni. And He really personified baseball in Seattle. I'm sure that 99% of the people hearing this haven't heard of Ito Manning because he was a big name back in the 1930s. But uh, he led the Seattle Rainiers to three consecutive Pacific Coast League championships in late 30s and early 40s. He uh, grew up in Seattle, uh, I think I mentioned, and he went to Queen Anne High School. He was a pure Seattleite. That's what made him... Very special. and his last gig, uh, we've been talking about the Seattle Pilots. He was the sales director for the Seattle Pilots in 1969, the one-year wonders, as we've talked about in this show. So Ito Vanni, um, he passed away in 2007. A remarkable guy. He he says in the interview, you'll hear this, that he made $250 a month uh, when he was playing, and that was the top salary that he got. You know, that wouldn't even get you a town car ride from the baseball stadium to the airport now. (laughs) But anyhow, it just shows how things were quite different in that time. And then the final interview today would be with Chester Rito. And he is the actually the head of the ushers for the dugout club at the Tacoma Rainiers. And a very special guy. He's a walking encyclopedia on baseball. He started his career in Brooklyn, or he actually that's where he grew up and came out to Tacoma. But again, he's got all this trivia that's really fantastic. And I did an interview on a bench within Cheney Stadium, and you can hear some of the crowd in the background. We're not hearing that now, but it was kind of refreshing to hear some of that during the interview. So before we get to that, I just wanted to talk about uh, some self employment tips. And one of the things that we are now in lockdown and really trying to cope with what's going on. I submit that if you have any inclination, wanting to go into business for yourself, that a good first step, the really first step is to take, ask yourself why you want to do this. And it's not what you want to do. Like, you know, you want to make the greatest cupcakes or you want to open up a restaurant. Of course, that'll be challenging now. But whatever you want to do, that's not what I'm suggesting you do. It's on a personal level. Why do you want to take this step and why I think that's so important important is I think you need about three or four, maybe five really powerful reasons to do this. And if you can't come up with that, I think you'll struggle. Because I know for myself and other people I've talked to about running your own business, there are times you're going to hit and you hit a you know pothole or something like that, uh, the analogy, you're going to want to throw in the towel. But basically, if you have very strong personal reasons to why you want to do this, I think it'll get you through it. For example, one of mine was that uh, I didn't really want to work for someone else. And I, I just didn't say it. I really felt it. I, I, But I did work for the state. I did work for the county. I did work for a nonprofit, small business. And then I hit a point going, you know, I don't like bureaucracy. I want to be my own decision maker. And I felt very strongly about that. It wasn't just a passing comment. I felt extremely strong about that, and I had evidence. I worked in these fields. So it really served me very powerfully to want to go and do the business for myself. I had about three or four other reasons. But again, if you have time now, sit down. If, again, you have these inclinations to do this, write reasons why you really want to do this, and I think it will help you solidify getting to that next step, and that's a good time to do that. What I don't suggest is that anybody at all that they take this right now and make a jump into self-employment or make a radical change in their lifestyle. I think now's not the time to do that. When we return to our normal lifestyle, it'll come to you. Basically let it come to you. You may say, well, I want to continue working the way I have been, or you may say, you know, I want to take this step now. So that's kind of what I've been thinking about. And um, if you do, have more inclinations, uh, to want to go into business for yourself. You can take the self-employment quiz. It's on voices of The website it takes about five minutes and the higher you score on this quiz. My belief is that it's the higher probability you'll have for success. So again, that's voices of So why don't we just move uh, Benny into the interview I had with uh, Rick Kaminsky,
2: you're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success.
0: I hosted a radio show in the mid-1990s by the name of Voices of Experience. And in that program, I had a segment called Profiles of Experience. And one of the people I profiled at the time was the Pedit man by the name of Rick Kaminsky. I knew Rick pretty well and uh, really enjoyed his infectious personality and his great aim. But rather than going into great detail here, I think it says it all by the interview I had with him. his just his desire to learn, his sense of humor, and greeting life with so much excitement day in and day out.
3: Our guest this week on U.S. West Profiles of Experience is Rick Kaminsky, but much better known as the peanut man at the kingdom. He even refers to himself as a major league nut. Rick has been pitching peanuts in the Kingdom for over 22 years. And Rick, how did you become the peanut man?
1: Well, actually, it's a strange story. As you know from, from our past, I was, a, uh, I was a Vietnam vet and I was uh, at Shoreline Community College where I was student body president, where I happened to meet you when you were student body president at, at Wazoo. That's right. And uh, from there, I went to the UW on the GI Bill. And uh, boy, after after the four years, I took a break from school and Decided to go to work to get a breather at the Kingdom.
3: 22 years ago.
1: Yeah, it was. 22 years ago. Uh, well, actually, it was 21 years ago. And this is just the beginning of my 22nd year.
3: Rick, what's an event at the Kingdom that stands out in your mind in, like, 21 years that just really was something very special? From
1: my perspective, uh, Chicago White Sox uh, bullpen gave me a standing O one time for a, for a shot I threw, for a number of shots, actually, I threw in their area when they were looking. That's very unusual, but I was really honored because they were professionals, you know. All right. Also, one time, this is actually in 95, a group of visiting Japanese school kids were there, and one of them came up and told me that I was famous. I was a hero in Japan.
3: In Japan?
1: (laughs) I said, who knew? You know? I never get out there.
3: Ken Grevy Jr. and Rick Kaminsky. Oh, yeah,
1: cool. (laughs) And then uh, after Chris Brazio threw his no-hitter a few years back, he... uh, He signed a T-shirt calling me the best arm in the West. Probably the most embarrassing moment I've had was, you know, somebody will go up, I tell them to use two hands, they put their hands right in front of their face, and they don't close their hands in time. The bag goes right through their hands, and they're eating peanuts the hard way bag and all.
3: Before they wanted to.
1: Well, you got to take them out of the shell. I recommend it.
3: Hey, Rick, before we leave this morning, what uh, current projects are you working on?
1: Oh, I'm, I'm currently beginning a, an association with the Liquidators Outlets.
3: We've been talking to Rick Kaminsky, the peanut man, known as a major league nut. Now, he, that's on his card. I didn't say that. <laughs> yes, Rick, sir, thank sir. you very much
0: for uh, being
3: with us this morning on US West Profiles of Experience. Thank you. I appreciate it very much, Paul. Thanks for having me. See you down at the dome.
0: Yes, Rick, we saw you down at the dome for many more years and then at Safeco Field. I believe that he was tossing peanuts in the kingdom and at Safeco Field for over 35 years. Amazing. You know, at this point, we often say uh, this individual was one in a million. Well, you know, anybody knows, that I'm not exaggerating when I say Rick Kaminsky was one in a million, most definitely. commentary today is on the dynamics of family and friends in your business. Generally speaking, seeking business advice or let's say even more, a partnership in your business should be discouraged. Family and friends are for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and vacations. I have seen many businesses get into trouble because you really can't separate your business from personal relationships. One of the main reasons I think that people want to have a family member or a good friend involved in business, you have some relationship with them, some history, and mainly you think that you can trust that individual. Look back. Have you been duped a lot? If so, that means you score low in the part of my quiz, which asks if you exercise good judgment. And if you do, you will find if an individual approaching you and wanting to do business with you is trustworthy. If your gut tells you they're not, run.
3: A true Seattle baseball legend, Ito Vanni, is with us this morning on Profiles of Experience. He grew up in Seattle, attending Queen Anne High School, and had the first hit, first stolen base, and scored the first run at 6th Seattle Stadium that stood in the heart of Rainier Valley between 1939 and 1978. He was a player on three championship Seattle Rainier baseball teams of the Pacific Coast League. He was also manager and general manager in later years of the Seattle Rainiers. He was also the director of sales for the Seattle Pilots, during their one and only major league year in the Pacific Northwest. Good morning, Mr. Vanny, and welcome to Profiles of Experience. Do you think Seattle proved it was a baseball town last fall?
4: I've always said that Seattle was a baseball town from back in the golden areas of 1939, 40, and 41, when Mr. Sick took over the franchise and built a new stadium out there in Rainier Valley called Sick Stadium. I've always said if you give Seattle a winner, that people would go out in the cow pasture to watch you play.
3: What did you make as a player for the Rainiers in
4: 1939? In 1939, I made $250 a month, plus $3 a day meal money, which wasn't an awful lot, but I had a lot of incentive clauses in my contract.
3: Well, what do you think about player salaries today?
4: Well, I I think the player salaries might be a little out of line, but if they keep getting out of line, even if we build a new stadium, they're going to have to scale a house Prices of the seats to accommodate the salaries that are going to come in because those, those suites up there, not everybody's going to be able to go up there and sit in those suites. You've got to think of the poor soul that brings a wife and uh, four kids to a ball game. They've got to have seats for those people to come. They're the best salesmen you got around. And if they can't go to the ball game, who's going to go?
3: Do you think the uh, baseball strike permanently hurt baseball?
4: I think it did, and I certainly hope that it doesn't ever happens again. If they do, if they have another baseball strike, they might as well pack up and find a good paddle lock for these doors on these stadiums, because the people will not put up with it.
3: Why do you think that baseball is so enduring and so popular?
4: Well, it's always been a popular game because it's a simple game. The rules haven't changed in a hundred years, except for this DH that they have. And uh, it's the same confines. You're still playing the same game with the bat and ball and the glove. And the fundamentals of the game are still the same. If you want to bunt, you got to be able to bunt a guy over. you got to hit and run or a stolen base. The only thing that I'd say that it's upgraded to baseball is probably the playing fields that they have today.
3: And probably the uh, uniforms. You played in those wool suits that were, I imagine, extremely hot.
4: we go into Sacramento. The temperature would be 115, 118, 120. And you play in those wool suits. And boy, it was hot. Yeah, we had a 200 game schedule in those days. We played uh, uh, a week in each town, which was a, which was a good thing because you could unpack your clothes and you could set up house like you wanted, you know. And you'd be going to the ballpark each day, and you'd probably face one pitcher on Tuesday, and you'd see him again on Sunday or Saturday night, which was very helpful. And you learned to uh, to set up schedules on your own little scorecard, how this guy pitched me and got me out the time before, how am I going to hit him again on Saturday night or Sunday?
3: Well, what was your favorite team that you played on and why?
4: Well, my favorite team that I played on here in Seattle was the 1940 team. As a team and as a unit, they played together with good teamwork, and to me, the 1940 team was probably the best one that, that I had here, and I also was associated with many other pennant winners here in Seattle.
3: Baseball legend, Ido Vanni, thank you very much for spending time in Voices of Experience.
4: Thank you, Paul.
0: I became a partial owner of the Tacoma Rainiers uh, several years ago, and it's great going down to Cheney Stadium to see some of the games there. You see a lot of Seattle Mariners actually come through there and to play only up in the big leagues at Safeco Field. Another individual makes it such a pleasure is a man by the name of Chester Rito, and he works as an usher in the dugout club, and he is a walking encyclopedia when it comes to baseball. He grew up in Brooklyn. I sat down with him last Saturday night in a bench. You'll hear some of the crowd of the Tacoma Rainier's game in the background, and my first question to him, how did he find his love for baseball?
2: Well, when I was a young lad, and wore smaller clothes, my dad and mom would take me down to Ebbets Field. And Ebbets Field was one of those little bandbox, asymmetrical ballpark in Brooklyn that was down there uh, in the 50s, when I was a young lad. Of course, the history of baseball and the Dodgers are synonymous, but they got their name because my dad used to tell me that they got their name because the trolleys used to end at Ebbets Field and people would have to Dodge around the trolley cars to get into the field uh, to watch the baseball game there. So Ebbets Field was my first start, and I was lucky enough to see players like Jackie Robinson and Gil Hodges and Pee Wee Reese for one of two reasons. One, they were our heroes, of course, because we were not allowed to go to Yankee Stadium and see the uh, Yankees play baseball. But most of those players lived right in the neighborhoods where we used to play. So we would see them walking up and down the street, going and buying groceries. And uh, it it made it a very homey type of environment. So you felt like you know the people there. It was a very close ballpark. Uh, You sat right on the field pretty much. Only held 26,000, but uh, it was enjoyable.
0: Now how heartbroken were you when they moved
2: west? Well, now that I've had the wisdom of a few years to look back I knew it was the right move but at the time everybody went silent because we never believed it was true it just couldn't be true Um, I'm not sure that anytime you lose a hero that you believe of that is actually happening but it got to the point where it took focus a few days afterwards in fact the Giants were the first ones to leave Brooklyn didn't leave until after the Giants went out to San Francisco. Horace Stodem made the move because the Giants were losing money. They never lost money in Brooklyn. But if you look at the dynamics of how the uh, people changed the environments in New York, uh, it was a good move for the Giants and, of course, the Dodgers, but we were heartbroken. Uh, It was like a member of the family had left. So what is it
0: about baseball that you love? I mean, and I guess question I asked directly is like do you remember the moment when you just fell in love with the sport was there one moment or was there a series of moments
2: there really wasn't any moment I just fell in love with it it was I I grew up with it and when you grow up with something you don't question it it's part of who you are Uh, the thing about baseball to me is that no matter where you are um, you take a bat and a ball and you can have a game and it's springtime um The flowers come up, the grass becomes green, and baseball becomes alive. And baseball, as I've said to lots of people, is a game of hope because everybody comes to the ballpark, and maybe today will be the day that I catch a ball. And on that day, if I don't, it'll be the next day. So there's always optimism at the ballpark. Everybody's going to win the pennant at the beginning of the season, and then slowly it sits in, but every year it renews. How did you get to Tacoma? Series of employment deals, I used to sell furniture for J.C. Penney, and uh, in my travels I've always wanted to go to different places around the United States. Came to New York, went to Mexico City for six years where I studied to become a teacher. Teaching wasn't the best thing to do, uh, even though I got my degrees, so I started selling furniture and we started to work for Pennies down in San Francisco and eventually came in Tacoma where I worked up here for 31 years.
0: And so how did you find your way to Cheney?
2: I called up one day because I was uh, out of work. I had retired and I was bored. And so on on Strictly a Lark, I I said, gee, maybe they could use an old guy out of Cheney Stadium. And I owe that favor to uh, Mallory, who picked up the phone and I explained my situation. She said, do you have any personal experience with the public? And I said, yes, I sold furniture for several years. And what about baseball? I said, well, I grew up with my dad uh, in Brooklyn. We sold pencils outside of the stadium for a nickel. And uh, those times, you could buy pencils, which said Brooklyn Dodgers, on it. And we sold them with the scorecards, which cost a quarter. And what year was that about? 1953. Okay. And so she said, come on in. And I I had never met her. I didn't know where I was going, but I knew where Chetty Stadium was because it must have been a foreboding of truth because five years before, I want a car on car night that Stan Nakarado used to have out here, and the car was so big I couldn't even fit it in my garage. But I came out here and spoke to Mallory when the officers were on union, and I talked with her in about 30 minutes, and she said, that's it, you're hired. And that was the greatest time that I could ever have because... It made me a little boy again, which I had forgotten about. Uh, How long have you been here? I've been here nine years. And uh, it was enjoyable. And when I got around the people and I started getting the excitement back into me, I figured out what can I do for them. And I tell stories, bring a paper once in a while, make sure they have a good time. And sometimes that's the important thing, because then you get them to tell you their story. And you talk to somebody who remembers when his dad brought him as a little boy in 1962 to Chidi Stadium to see the Giants, and their eyes light up, and you can just see the relevance that they're telling their story to somebody who's telling you about the same thing. And it makes it all good, it makes it all good. Final question.
0: Sure. Um, you uh, watched a lot of games, experience a lot of seasons. Is there one game or season that sticks out in your mind as being your very favorite?
2: Well, that's a tough question to answer because what I've seen, I, I, yeah, I'll be honest with you because um, I can't tell you the year because it happened many times. The Dodgers always used to play in the Yankees uh, in the World Series except for 1951 and 1954. And as a kid, I would be walking home from elementary school and in those days, there was no air conditioning. Everybody sat on the stoops. And I could walk home from my elementary school, walking among the neighborhood with the windows of the apartments open, and I could hear Vince Scully broadcast the game on the way home as I walked. So when I got home, I knew exactly what happened by the time I got there. And that's, there's no one thing I could call a highlight in my uh career other than that because that was special you have to envision people on a stoop on a july afternoon or a june afternoon sitting there listening to the ball game on the radio because tv was in its infancy and it wasn't until years later that came into prominence but can think about walking on a city street listening to the background noise of the radios and different parts of the city. And then Ben
0: Scully on top of Oh, it. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just for amazing. Says, he just retired, what, two years ago? That's like that? right.
2: Amazing, amazing man. Wow. He had one of the voices. And that's, that's part of baseball. The sounds of the game. Uh, the sounds of microphones. Uh, the different noises that you hear. And one other thing I can tell you, Paul, one of my greatest feelings is that after the game, sometimes you'll see me more often than not sitting down after my shift, listening to what happened here before. It's an amazing thing.
0: That's Chester Rito and an interview I had with him last Saturday night at Tacoma's Cheney Stadium. I could go on and have an interview with him for another several hours. I mean, we just scratched the surface in this interview, and I will have him back sometime in the future.
2: You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word.
0: Well, welcome back to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and thank you, Benny, so much again today for doing such a wonderful job in such a long distance from <laughs> Seattle to Palm Springs.
2: My pleasure, sir. And if you haven't in the past been uh, tossed a bag of peanuts in the previous years at Safeco and the Kingdom, you missed out because I had one bag, and that's all it took to get one from Rick. So good time. You did
0: get a bag from Rick I Kaminsky. did.
2: I waited. Okay. It took a long time.
0: He's He was a famous dude. Right. I mean, could you believe it that he would have behind the back peanut oh. passes and it was on
2: ESPN? Yeah. Oh, I know. He was a magician.
0: Yeah. He was an incredible guy. Thank you for that, Benny. I want to thank again, the late Rick Kaminsky for sharing his wisdom and experience with us today, along with Ito Vanni, both interviews in the 1990s. And of course, Chester Rito. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. If you'd like to talk about anything any subject, self-employment, anything else, you can reach me at 206-459-5536. That's 206-459-5536. And again, I encourage you during this time, if you have any inclination for going into business for yourself, I strongly suggest that you take the self-employment quiz, visit voicesofexperience.com and take the quiz. It's about five minutes long. That's how long it takes. And there are 20 questions. And the higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. And again, if you're thinking about self-employment, write down the reasons why you want to do it. Have a great rest of the week. And again, Benny, thanks a lot.